Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools is here every Saturday at 12 noon to promote and to defend public education. And our public education system is in crisis and is at the crossroads. Our education system in this country is at the crossroads. Are we going to have an education system from the democracy or are we going to have an education system of choice for those who want a class-based and a religious-based education system, a sectarian and a divided community. Uh, for well over 100 years, we haven't had to put up with all of this nonsense, but we're putting up with it more and more and more. Our children are being divided, one third of them. And here we are in a crucial election and education hardly seems to be on the agenda at all. So we've done a press release 936. We're not the only ones who think about this, of course. Australia's schools, we say, are in crisis, so why isn't education a national priority? And that was the heading of an article written by Brett Hennebury in the Educator of the 9th of May issue. So here is Kimberley to read our press release 936. Over to you, Kimberley. Thanks, Jean. Uh, so this is the question asked not only by Brett Henneberry in the 9 May issue of The Educator, but also by Dr Doherty, the AEU, public school parents, teachers and supporters. They are looking on gobsmacked as the coalition brazenly favours private schools and den denigrates public school teachers. The Labor Party, falling into the bash the teachers slipstream, concentrates on post-war Second World War strategies for solving urgent teacher shortages. The arguments used by Henneberry, the AEU, and financial researchers like SOS are economic. Henneberry refers to recent research as follows. Over the years, a growing body of research has highlighted how greater funding for public education can deliver long-term economic benefits for Australia. However, we approach a crucial election at a time when the economy is reeling from pressures such as rising inflation, interest rates, and global supply chain disruptions. Australia's leaders are instead prioritising the lowering of living costs, an action item they rightly argue cannot wait. Prominent economist Adam Rorris points out that capital investment in the poorest 20% of Australian public schools, along with targeted increases to recurrent spending, could help generate approximately $5.2 billion every year in economic activity. More than $100 billion in benefits over the next 20 years. An additional annual investment of $3.8 billion per annum would bridge the gap between public and private schools in per student capital investment, Rorris said. Closing the gap would deliver an ongoing annual return of 37% above investment and an additional 37,000 full-time construction jobs, many more than the thousand or so jobs that the much vaunted job maker has been able to provide to date. Some influential education leaders say education should not only be a priority for government, but our top priority as a nation. But Passy Solberg, the Professor of Education at Southern Cross University, previously the Deputy Director at the Gonski Institute for Education at UNSW, takes a wider view. He says, it is no surprise that education is viewed as the most important key to sustainable recovery from glo current global crisis. Whether it is about economy, environment, health or peace of the world, we won't be successful in the end without education, Professor Salberg told The Educator. Now, it is not enough to just repeat education as national priority in election time. No politician would think that education is unimportant. What we need is common understanding of what kind of education we need for recovery for a better world for all of us. Professor Salberg said there are several long-term benefits of prioritising the creation of a system that provides everyone a fair opportunity to adequate, high-quality education. These are stronger faith among young people, the value of education in their lives, stronger public education system that can better tolerate external shocks like those experienced in Australia during recent years, and a nation that is able to collectively change the course of current developments for brighter future for next generations. Professor Selberg says another way to understand why education should be a national priority in political elections is to predict some of the immediate consequence not to do so.
Australia has clearly been in a downward trend in both quality and equity of education longer than a past decade now. Without refocusing education better on combating current inequalities will only make situations for increasing number of children worse, he said. Professor Salberg said that other harmful consequences of failure to make education as a top national priority include accelerating nationwide shortages of qualified teachers, further educational segregation of children to schools based on their socioeconomic backgrounds, and as a result, growing frustration among parents due to broken promises of giving all Australian children a fair go through education. Evidence for changing the course of these national education priorities is clear, and so should be a road ahead after this election. Pussy Salberg makes much of growing inequities in Australian education and society, but is not prepared to tackle the private school interest, the major promoter and perpetuator of these inequities head on, nor are the Labor or coalition parties. They are just downright frightened of the religious education lobby. Dogs are not. They are prepared to spell it out. The denominational system failed in the 19th century to educate all the children. The denominational system in the 21st century is dividing one third of our children on the basis of class, creed and colour and is parasitic on the main public system, which it takes responsibility for the vast majority. Two thirds of Australian children. It is, it's used to educate more than 80% of our children. It has taken billions of dollars of state aid over half a century, special deal after special deal with religious lobbyists, political blackmail by religious lobbyists at election after election, and a string of failed needs policies to lure 14% of insecure Australian parents into a myriad of overfunded religious schools, which do not even do a good job of churching the children they educate. The fastest growing religion in Australia is no religion. Dogs believe that education is a right, not a charity. It should not depend on religious patriarchs to all claiming to have the spiritual truth. It should not be provided at their behest, but paid for by all taxpayers to those who can afford to pay. The current situation in Australia is at a crossroads. Private religious schools are now overfunded by taxpayers while public schools are deprived of funds. Private schools are duplicating public facilities. It is a time to make private schools open to all children, teachers and employees with offence to none. Religion should be the domain of churches, mosques and the family. Fees should be made illegal as they are in Finland and independent schools should be just that, independent of taxpayer funding. Public schools are public in purpose and outcome, public in access to all children, teachers and employees, public in ownership and control. The public system should be the only one publicly funded because it is the only one which is publicly accountable. Back to you, Jean. Many thanks, Kimberly. Uh, that's where the dogs are coming from. We're now paying for a lot of these schools. Um, they really duplicate a lot of public facilities. They're parasitic. The amazing thing is that they have done so many terrible things to children, and not only to children but also to taxpayers. There have been so many Auditor General reports. There was even one last year that said that these schools are not using taxpayer money as they should, and yet they are rewarded for very, very bad behaviour. At this election, dear listeners, make sure we don't reward our politicians for allowing this bad behaviour to be rewarded in this way. But we'll have a bit of a break. And then we've got some interesting um, material uh, about the Labor Party choosing privilege over fairness in education from uh, Trevor Cobalt. The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth. And the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at 
the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in. It's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Well, uh, listeners, we hope you're still with us because uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of meaty material for you tonight in this uh, election time. The Labor Party were promising uh, some time ago that they would at least uh, fund our public education according to the Gonski requirements, that they have dropped that idea. So Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools on May the 4th uh, produced a very, very interesting paper entitled Labor Chooses Privilege Over Fairness in Education. And uh, Sorrel and Dale are going to give this uh, information to you. Over to you, Sorrel and Dale. Thanks, Jean. So Trevor Cobalt writes that Labor has chosen privilege over fairness in education and that they have chosen privilege over fairness in school funding. They have chosen to continue the massive overfunding of Australia's wealthiest schools and dumped their commitment to fully fund public schools. It is a craven capitulation to the powerful interests in private schools. It denies resources to those most in need. Fairness in school funding has missed out in Labor's election campaign. Labor has endorsed Morrison's massive overfunding of private schools, including hundreds of millions of dollars for the most exclusive schools in Australia. Labor education, Tanya Plibersek, recently said that Catholic and independent schools will not have their funding touched by a Labor government. In doing so, she endorsed the rapacious greed of the wealthy for taxpayer resources. Exclusive independent schools are massively overfunded by the Morrison government. Just 50 schools will be overfunded by nearly 400 million from 2022 to 2028 under the current funding arrangements, an average of 8 million per school. Newington College in Sydney will be overfunded by 13.3 million. It charges fees of $27,000 and 70% of its students are from the top socioeconomic advantage quartile SEA, and 95% are from the top two quartiles, but only 1% are from the bottom quartile. Halebury College in Melbourne will be overfunded by 22 million. It charges fees of 27,000, and 70% of its students are in the top SEA quartiles, while 95 are from the top two quartiles, but only 1% are from the bottom quartile. Brisbane Grammar will be overfunded by 12.9 million. Its average fees are $26,000. 88% of students are from the top SEA quartile, 98 from the top two quartiles, and it has no students from the lowest quartile. Hale School in Perth will be overfunded by 10.8 million. Its fees are $26,000. 70% of its students are from the top SEA quartile, 91 from the top two quartiles, and only 2% are from the bottom quartile. St. Peter's College in Adelaide will be overfunded by $11.9 million. Its fees average $23,000, and 69% of its students are from the top SEA quartile, 90 from the top two quartiles. Every one of these 50 exclusive schools have had, have had over 60% of their students from the top SEA quartile. Many have had around 80% and more. Every school has around 90% or more from the top two quartiles and only 1.1 to 3 from the bottom quartile. They all have fees of or around $20,000 and up to $30,000. 
their overfunding ranges from $4 billion to $22 billion, yet Labor won't touch it. Instead, it chooses to continue the chronic underfunding of public schools. The Catholic system is also heavily overfunded and will remain so until at least 2028 under the current funding arrangements. Its cumulative overfunding from 2022 to 2028 will amount to be about $1.3 billion. The independent sector will be overfunded by about $1.4 billion. In total, private schools will be overfunded by about $3.7 billion. These estimates do not include other sources of overfunding for private schools by the Commonwealth Government, such as the $1.2 billion Choice and Accountability Slush Fund, nor overfunding by state governments. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Sorrel. Yes, in contrast, public schools will continue to be massively underfunded by state governments under the terms of the fraudulent Commonwealth State Bilateral Funding Agreements. While Catholic and independent schools will be funded at over 100% of their schooling resource standard, the SRS, until 2029, public schools will be funded at less than 91% of their SRS until at least 2029. Save Our Schools estimates the cumulative underfunding of public schools from 2022 to 2029 at $53 billion. Labor has offered only token increases for public schools compared with what is needed. The dire state of public school funding is virtually ignored. It was not even mentioned by Anthony Albanese's campaign launch. The idea of fairness in school funding was entirely absent from his speech. Tanya Plibersek won't even guarantee that public schools will be fully funded under a Labor government. She has resiled from from promises that Labor would ensure that public schools were fully funded at 100% of their SRS. Now, all she will say is that underfunded public schools will be better off under Labor. That's not good enough. A Labor government must choose between privilege and fairness in education. It will face budget challenges to properly fund health, aged care and the NDIS, having ditched previous policies to reduce tax concessions worth billions for the wealthy. Apart from looking at other sources of revenue, stopping the sheer waste in overfunding public school private schools would help make some progress, albeit small, towards better funding of public schools. If Labor still believes in fairness, it must step up much more for public schools. It must ensure that public schools are fully funded within the next five years. It should increase the funding loadings for disadvantaged students and it must immediately revise Commonwealth state bilateral funding agreements that are defrauding public schools of billions in their funding. A Labor government must ensure that the states also fulfil their responsibility to public schools. The Greens say they'll support funding public schools at 100% of the SRS, but have not committed to stopping the overfunding of private schools. Independent candidates are campaigning hard in several electorates and they may have the balance of power in the new parliament. They cannot remain silent on the overfunding of wealthy private schools and the chronic underfunding of public schools. They also have to choose between privilege and fairness in education. And if you go to the Save Our Schools websites, you'll find some incredibly shocking uh, charts that detail the overfunding of some of Australia's most exclusive private schools with your taxpayer dollars. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much. Uh, It's very disappointing, very disappointing indeed. Public schools really, uh, it's Tweedledum and Tweedledee again, isn't it? And they were really saying that they would put about $14 billion into public schools quite quite recently. But they've just gone back from that. It's almost as if they're running scared. Uh, really, it's very sad indeed. Of course, Tanya Pribasek herself has sent her children, uh, some of them to uh, public schools and some to Catholic schools. But, uh, and she's not prepared to take on the private school interest, obviously. So we'll have a bit of a break. Thank you for all of that. And we'll come back with some more interesting material. 
all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got. But it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 Well, you've heard what up to a point the dogs have got to say and Parsi Salberg and Hanbury have had to say about education in the coming election. And you've heard what Trevor Cobal has to say, his great disappointment at the Australian Labor Party and the way it has resiled on its promises. But the ABC has had some interesting material too. Uh, somebody might have, uh, some of you might have seen 7.30 in the last week where there was um, a promo that private schools were doing very well with enrolments. Uh, but what was lovely about this was the young girl from Hume Secondary College who said how wonderful her, her public school was. And it was a very interesting report indeed. So we thought you'd like to hear what the ABC has got to say about what's happening with education and the election. And uh, Connor Duffy, who is their education reporter, has an article on the website, uh, Coalition, Labor, Outline Election, Education Priorities, as experts say that Australia is a global outlier on private schools. Over to you, Kim. Thanks, Jean. I'll jump right into it. So it was a bold move for a newly installed minister in a complex portfolio. In a speech at an independent schools forum in March, acting education minister Stuart Robert praised the teachers of that sector while lamenting what he called dud teachers elsewhere in the system, or as Mr Robert said, the bottom 10% of teachers dragging the chain. Public education advocates, including the Australian Education Union, the AEU, called the comments shameful and insulting, while state Labor education ministers shared the outrage. Today, it's clear teacher quality is Mr Roberts' preferred electoral fighting ground, with the coalition releasing a plan to block underperforming teachers from reaching the classroom, while the opposition pledges more for public schools and more money for high achievers to study teaching. However, for many in the system, the comments sum up a growing private-public divide, one that is seeing Australian parents sending their children to private schools in record numbers and continued debate over what some have dubbed a culture war. Experts say Australian education is now at a crossroads. And as Australia heads to the polls, this year marks the 10-year anniversary of the Gonski reforms, reforms that were supposed to fix equity and quality issues alike. So what are the coalition and Labor offering? More than a month after those controversial comments, Mr Roberts sat down with the ABC to discuss the portfolio and the future of education. He said the comments were simple statement of fact and not directed solely at the public system and is initially interpreted. I didn't call teachers in the public system duds at all, he said. I made the point that 10% of our teachers are failing the basic literacy and numeracy exam. Australia is an outlier on private schools, but that's the way many parents like it. Mr Roberts said teacher quality was a key issue. He said the coalition wanted to block teachers who couldn't pass a proficiency test from entering the classroom. Since 2017, 10% of our teaching graduates have been failing that. Not once, not twice, but three times, year upon year upon year, he said. Last year, ABC News Australia's talk survey found parents of children at public schools were more likely to have concerns about teacher quality than those at independent or Catholic schools. The education election battle comes at a time when, despite record investment in all school sectors, the most recent results show Australian students are continuing to slide down international rankings. Labor's shadow education minister Tanya Plibersek told the ABC that she did not believe singling out teachers was the answer. Having an acting education minister who calls public teachers duds doesn't help keep highly experienced, highly competent people in the classroom, Ms Plibersek said. 
Labor's pitch to parents involves topping up funding to underfunded public schools in the 2023 school funding agreement, but it is an aspiration and not a promise. The coalition's plan is to do this by 2029. It's not fair that this government has put Catholic and independent schools on track to receive their fair funding while leaving public schools behind, Ms. Plibersek said. Mr. Robert, however, told the ABC it was lovely that more parents were choosing Catholic schools. The fastest growing school system right now is very low fee Catholic education, he said. It's an education based on faith and values. Labor does not have a policy to cut funding to Catholic or independent schools. The last Labor leader to take that to an election was Mark Latham in 2004. He was soundly beaten. Labor supports parental choice. We're very happy for parents who choose the type of education that best suits their child, Ms. Plibersek said. Before Stuart Robert took over the coalition's previous education minister, Alan Tudge, ran a campaign against a proposed draft national curriculum. Mr Tudge went as far as suggesting that children being educated in Australian schools would grow up with a hatred of the country and even be reluctant to serve in the armed forces. Mr Robert, an army veteran, poured cold water on the comments. I'm not too sure that's the case, he said. What we want is high-performing schools, very high-performing teachers to get high-performing outcomes for our students so we can get great students who love their country and are prepared to serve their country. The government is pointing to its revisions of the national curriculum as a reason for voters to continue to support its education policies. In the first draft of the curriculum, we saw Year 2 students identifying a racist statue, but they weren't required to learn their times tables. Now, clearly, that's unacceptable, Mr Roberts said. In the US, conservatives have been energised by an effective campaign tapping into parental concerns about ideology in the classroom. However, with elected school boards in the US and a bipartisan technical process for developing curriculum through a straight and federal system, experts point out that there are major differences to the Australian system. According to Ms Plibersek, the US comparison is a distraction designed to keep attention from the real challenges in schools. Our kids shouldn't be pawns in an attempt to get a US-style culture wars fight happening here in Australia, Ms Plibersek said. The election comes, to, comes as Australian schools landscape continues to be transformed by parents moving to the private system. And with 36% of students now at Catholic or independent schools, it's a question many parents battle with. Professor Pazi Salberg in a, is a leading international educator and professor of education at Southern Cross University. Pazi Salberg said that the Australian system saw far more children in private education. He said parents should never have to leave public schools because of quality. Professor Salberg said Australia was an outlier on private schools. The OECD average is about 10 or 11 percent of students going into non-government schools. So we have almost four times more kids in non-governmental schools compared to the OECD on average. Oh, OECD we, on average. Can we repeat that, please? Yes. Australia is an outlier on private schools. We are peculiar. That's what he's saying. The OECD average is about 10 or 11%, and now we've got upwards, getting up to 36%. I'm not sure that it is that high because it was coming down, actually. And let's see what happens in the next six months as the interest rates go up and the parents have got to juggle school fees with mortgage payments. But um, these are what we're, we're being told, that this is what parents want. So we have almost four times more children in non-government schools compared to the rest of the countries in the OECD. That's a damning statement. Yeah, it's the coalition attempting to justify its overfunding of private schools by uh, fudging the, the figures of how many students are actually attending private schools. When we all know that the public education system still not only takes the majority of students, but also the majority of students with disability and disadvantaged and vulnerable students are in the public education sector. Well, I think you must remember that back in the day, back in the 1960s, 80% of children were in public schools. And then 50 years later, and billions and billions and billions of dollars being diverted from public education, there's only been 14% change. Think about it. Mm. He goes on to say, unless we realise that these schools, the public schools, have to be fully funded, 
as was the intention of the Gonski Review 10 years ago, it's going to be very difficult to change the course. For the record, Mr. Roberts sends his three sons to a private school. Ms. Plibersek sends her three children to a mix of Catholic and public schools. And in regards to their political futures after the election, Mr. Robert was philosophical about whether he would be education minister if the coalition was re-elected, telling the ABC, the prime minister giveth, the prime minister taketh away. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese has indicated shadow ministers would enter cabinet in their portfolios if Labor won. Well, thank you very much, uh, Kimberly. Kim, uh, I'm interested that Mr. Roberts knows his Bible. Uh, the, uh, but, of course, he's treating our Prime Minister as God. It's the Lord who giveth and the Lord who taketh away. And that is the saying of Job after he had lost so many of his children and all his goods. But, um, yes, Mr Roberts uh, is treating our Prime Minister as if he is uh, the good Lord. Very interesting. Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program on 3CR, if you're still with us, and we're now going to go over to Sorrel, who's going to tell us uh, how the AEU is looking at this election and education. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. The coalition government has systematically dismantled the concept of equity in education since its election in 2013. And its attacks on public education have intensified during Scott Morrison's time, first as treasurer and then as prime minister. The AEU federal president, Karina Haythorpe, says the coalition has consistently favoured private schools beginning with its undermining of the Gonski funding model. It has been a systematic and deliberate attack by Morrison on public schools, she says. The Liberal Party, then led by Tony Abbott, promised during the 2013 election campaign to match Labor's school funding dollar for dollar, but went back on its word in its first budget, cutting 30 billion in school funding. The cuts, which largely targeted public schools, were made by abandoning signed funding agreements with the states and territories, which were part of the Gonski funding reforms designed to improve equity in education. By 2016, then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was ready to end all federal funding for public schools. A move described at the time as the antithesis of Gonski by Dr. Ken Boston, former New South Wales Education Department Director General and Gonski Panel Review Member. Marking the Gonski Review's 10th anniversary in February this year, Boston linked the failure to implement the review's recommendations with Australia's continued decline in the OECD's Program for International Student Assessment test results. The program's test measures the achievement of 15-year-olds in reading, math and science in more than 80 countries. The Gonski Review showed how to reduce the impact of social disadvantage on national education outcomes so that Australia would become a high-quality, high-equity system. It proposed that schools with significant numbers of disadvantaged children should receive more public funding than other schools, Boston wrote in an editorial for the school's funding conference. Why does money matter? Turnbull did not succeed in abolishing funding for public schools, but the notion of equity in education became moot. More than $22 billion was cut from planned public school funding for the decade to 2027 in then-Treasurer Scott Morrison's 2017 budget, later reduced to $17 billion during robust Senate negotiations. Next, the Turnbull government revoked signed agreements with five states and territories and refused to deliver the two final years of school funding in 2018 and 2019. It also decided to end funding for capital works in public schools. Scott, Scott Morrison had barely warmed the seat in the Prime Minister's office before he delivered an astounding windfall for private schools. Less than one month after taking the top job in 2018, 
Morrison announced a 4.6 billion 10-year deal for private schools that included a 1.2 billion choice and affordability fund designed to address specific challenges in the non-government school sector, such as supporting schools in drought-affected areas, schools that need help to improve performance, and to deliver choice in communities. A few months later, his government negotiated new funding agreements with states and territories that locked in disadvantage for public schools. Each school's level of funding is determined by the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS, a calculation that includes a base level of funding plus loadings for students with higher needs. In theory, schools with higher numbers of students from disadvantaged backgrounds should receive more public funding but very few public schools benefit in this way. By 2023, only 1% of public schools will receive 100% of the SRS funding, whilst private schools will will receive their full allocation, and in some cases, much more. The coalition has legislated an SRS funding cap of 20% for public schools, expecting states to make up the difference. Meanwhile, it hands over 80% of the SRS to private schools. In a further blow for public schools, the agreements to allow the states and territories to claim a 4% capital depreciation tax on their funding to public schools, reducing effective funding by an extra $2 billion per year by 2027. By the time the agreements expire at the end of 2023, the total recurrent funding shortfall for public schools will be a total of 19 billion over the four years from 2020, says Haythorpe. Scott Morrison has entirely failed public school students, their parents and staff with this shocking outcome, she says. Gross inequalities in public school funding for teaching and learning resources are exacerbated by the urgent needs for high quality school infrastructure to provide safe and comfortable learning environments for students. The Morrison government's blatant favoritism towards private schools was once again on display when it discontinued the provision of capital works funding for public schools in 2017, leaving the states to cover the cost but it made sure that private schools had enough to fund their ambitious building programs, promising $1.9 billion from 2018 to 2027. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Sorrel. Yeah, during Morrison's almost four years as Prime Minister, his government has provided more than $560 million to private schools from this special building fund. Private schools were already ahead in the funding states. Investment in private schools facilities was at least double that of public schools per student per year in the decade to 2018, and in some years, more than four times. This is an alienation of the public estate. This is actually uh, buying assets for public companies uh, and alienating them from the actual ownership of the taxpayer. It's really quite shocking when you sit and think about it. Public schools are owned by us, usually, but um, these private schools are privately owned. This is our unjust enrichment um, of institutions which have failed in many, many ways, the children of this nation and also the society. And this is on the record. We've had a commission of inquiry into um, sexual predation. Uh, We have evidence even in this last week of quite shocking bullying going on at a place like Parade College. And yet these institutions are rewarded time and again with millions and now billions of our money. Quite shocking. Yeah, well, I mean, it says that it's even gone as much as four times higher per student per year to private school students. And that's from a report by um, Adam Rorris. And so for every dollar invested per child in a private school, a public school student would receive between 27 and 50 cents. 
Roris said. So in 2019, the federal budget included a few crumbs for public schools in the form of an election campaign-driven local school community fund. Uh, The one-off allocation of $30.2 million was to be shared by all of Australia's 9,542 schools, public and private, and it was distributed by local MPs. So each school received just over 3000 to spend mainly on furniture, shade sales and playground equipment. It was an insulting and cynical act, Corona Haythorpe said, that had no chance of meeting the school's need. And this article just goes on instance after instance of overfunding. But uh, watchdogs are calling out for funding checks. You know, the Morrison government's dodgy funding deals for the private sector have not gone unnoticed. An Australian National Audit Office, ANAO, review found that the Education Department had failed to adequately monitor whether school funding had been allocated, used and distributed in accordance with legislative requirements. Uh, The ANAO report published in June last year also concluded that the department's approach to assessing the impact of school funding on educational outcomes was not fully effective. Uh, The report found that many recommendations from the 2017 ANAO review of schools funding have either been not implemented or were partially implemented by the department. Uh, Karenna Haythorpe from the AU says the ANAO report is evidence that the Prime Minister is not to be trusted. You can't rely on him to nurture, protect and support public schools. He's intent on bolstering the private sector at the expense of the public school sector, she says. As we go to the polls, we need a government that will be true to the Goldsky recommendations and address the inequity that's become so deeply entrenched for public schools and their students under the Morrison government. And just on on the side, uh, on a personal note, just the whole concept that uh, capital funding for public schools was just stopped completely under Turnbull. That's a, that's a, an act of, of gross negligence for the majority of Australia's school students. It, and it really let disadvantaged and vulnerable sectors of our society know how little their government thinks of them. Well, given the, given the Auditor General's report, and there's been many of them, you can now understand why Mr Morrison has also cut back the funding of the Auditor General yeah. and doesn't want to have an integrity commission. Yeah. And you can understand why so many voters are saying that one of the big issues is an integrity commission at the federal level uh, that's got a few teeth in it, like the one in New South Wales. No wonder Mr Morrison is concerned. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, we'll come back. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Yes, well, uh, the one thing that our our politicians are agreed on is that there's a shortage, a grave shortage of teachers in Australia. Uh, Experienced teachers are walking away because they are expected to do just too much for too little. But um, the Labor Party has come up with what they think is a brilliant new idea, Uh, paying 12,000 uh, to students who are high achievers to actually go to university and become teachers. But actually, it's not a new idea. It's a very old idea. Uh, after the war, there were a lot of children in our public schools and we didn't have teachers to teach them. So they had uh, scholarships for 
working class and other children to go to university and become teachers. And then they were bonded for five years to go out and teach in Wuppal, we called it, uh, in the um, drought ridden areas or in the um, Wuppal. So uh, this is the brand new idea that Mr Albanese seems to have come up with. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. This is an article by Shane Wright. High achievers to get up to $12,000 a year to become teachers under labour. High achieving students would get up to $12,000 a year to study for an education degree and then work in regional parts of Australia under a plan from labour it says will boost teacher numbers and standards across the country. In the second last week of the May 21st election campaign, Labor leader Anthony Albanese will announce on Monday a $146.5 million plan that also includes encouraging 1,500 professionals to leave fields such as mathematics and hard science and go into the nation's classrooms. Education has so far barely registered during an election campaign dominated by the cost of living foreign affairs and post-COVID-19 recovery issues. But on Monday, Labor will turn its focus to an area it says has been neglected under the government of Scott Morrison, claiming Australian students are falling behind their peers in countries such as South Korea, China, Britain and the United States. Despite state and federal government efforts to improve the quality of teachers, the number of students with an ATAR over 80 going into education degrees has collapsed to 3.3% compared to 30% in the early 90s. Schools are also facing a teacher shortage of up to 4,000 positions by 2025. Labor leader Anthony Albanese will on Monday promise to double the number of high achievers studying education over the next decade from about 1,800 now to 3,600 a year. To do this, a Labor government would pay $10,000 a year to 5,000 students with an ATAR over 80 to study an education degree. Most courses are four years long. For those students who commit to teaching in regional area, they will receive $12,000. Albanese said if the number of high achievers studying education was doubled and that was doubled, the average student could gain between an extra six to 12 months of learning by year nine. Labor will also promise to boost the high achieving teachers program to support 1,500 qualified professionals to leave their specialities and learn to become teachers. These people would retrain as part-time teachers' aides whilst undertaking a master's degree in education. The extra 1,500 places will include 700 new teach for Australia teachers and 60 new teachers through La Trobe University's Nexus program. The places will be on top of Labor's promise to provide 20,000 extra university positions. Albanese said the programs were aimed at ensuring the education system had high teaching, high quality teaching. We want to make sure our kids get the best education they can. That means we have to make sure they're getting the best quality teaching, he said. Labor's plan will incentivise the best graduates to join the teaching profession, lead, leading to a brighter future for our students and for the nation. Albanese will also promise that Labor would use school funding negotiations with the states and territories to develop a better career path for teachers. He said this could include higher pay and more responsibility for, quote, elite teachers who may be literacy or numbers specialists. And just a couple of comments. Steve said there's no statistical evidence to support a correlation between ATAR and academic outcome. Why 80 and not some other number? If the ALP is to become a fully-fledged supporter of the meritocratic illusion, then wouldn't university grades be a better measure? And can they demonstrate a correlation between ATAR and teaching ability? Some people with very high ATARs become fine researchers but lack human interaction skills. Just go to my old university if you don't believe me. Another example of a superficially attractive but fundamentally flawed idea. And Nico says... The ALP is proposing what is basically a scholarship to undertake uni studies in teaching. 
why would you use uni grades? We're talking about attracting well-performed HSC students. There's no suggestion that they will necessarily be high-performing teachers. In my, in my experience, some of the best teachers were those who had a two-year trained certificate. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR. Well, we've had quite a lot of uh, very interesting material and a lot of it is not very, well, it's negative in many ways for public education, but we always like to end with a good news story. And we do have a good news story. It's a lovely story about what they're doing up in Helen. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's Great Stay at School is Hallam Senior College. And we have this article by Adam Kerry telling us all about what they have going on up at Hallam Senior College. He writes, when Nivea Peronisi became pregnant in year 11, she hid the news from her school friends for the entire nine months. I felt I would be judged, that I would be looked at differently, I felt under pressure, she said. As Melbourne emerged from its first COVID-19 lockdown in May 2020, Nivea's son, Hezekiah, was born and the 17-year-old withdrew from her Year 12 studies to care for her baby. Melbourne's outer southeast, where Nivea lives, has about 1,100 parents aged 15 to 20, census data shows and some of the lowest Year 12 completion rates in Greater Melbourne. But Peronisi wanted to finish school, so in October she returned to Hallam Senior College with her son and revealed her big life change to her friends and teachers. She could return to her school because Hallam was in its first year of involvement in its initiative called the Young Parents Education Program, which seeks to reduce dropout rates among young parents. The program is open to students aged up to 20 with a child aged up to 12 months. Three years on, Hallam is the only secondary school in Melbourne's southeast that has a dedicated program for young parents. Cranbourne Secondary College is due to join it from term three this year. An evaluation of the program by researchers at Monash University has called for its expansion into more secondary schools across the state arguing that its wider adoption will reduce the number of young parents who leave school early and the social stigma around teenage parenthood. But these students will require much more intensive support than their peers to finish school, the report's authors said. They may be surrounded by other teenagers whose concerns may seem inconsequential or trivial relative to those of teen parents, lead author Dr Penny Round wrote. Many are likely to experience marginalisation, feeling the awkwardness of stares and fielding inappropriate comments. These young parents need support to re-engage with their education to ensure that their future aspirations can become reality. But Dr Round warned that not all schools would be able to address the particular needs of young parents including academic, social and emotional support and guidance on parenting skills and career development. At Hallam, there is a dedicated learning space for VCAL classes attached to a nursery for children. There is one teacher in the classroom and one parent support worker in the other room, which is separated by glass windows so that the students can keep watch on their children. When I first took him in, being a teenager, you feel like you can get judged. But once I walked in and saw the other mums, I felt like I'm not alone in this. I had found my community, Perinisi said. She received her year 12 certificate last year and wants to return to study to become an early childhood educator. 
Greg McMahon retired as principal of Hallam Senior College last year, but oversaw the program's introduction. He backed for the call for the call. He backed the call for it to be expanded to other schools. If these young people don't get the support and encouragement they need to finish year 12, then their potential for moving forward in terms of employment and education diminishes. And the future cost to society is massive, McMahon said. Young Parents Education Program Manager Mary Tracy's Brown said eight young mothers had completed year 12 at Hallam since 2020, but no fathers, although it is open to men. They have gone on to work in fields including nursing, rail manufacturing, office administration, and as a travel agent. A spokesperson said the Department of Education and Training works with all government schools to put supports in place for vulnerable students, including those who are embarking on parenthood while still at school. The Victorian budget for 2022 to 2023 invested more than 37 million in the Navigator program, supporting young people at risk of disengaging from school, the spokesman said. Excellent news story there. Well done, Hallam Senior College. You are this week's Great State School of the Week. And that's all we've got time for this week on the Dogs Program. Uh, thanks to uh, Sorrel and Jean and Kim and I've been Dale. And you can find out more about the dogs at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Uh, but until next week, it's bye for now.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.